you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Hey everyone, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. With just over a week to go until the 2020 NFL Draft, we welcome you to another edition of the Move the Sticks podcast presented by FedEx. I am Rhett Lewis in today for DJ, and I got my man Lance Zerline hanging out with me uh, for the next little bit here as well. We're giving DJ and Bucky a little, you know, just a little extra rest so that we can make sure that they are good to go for the stretch run. You know what I mean, Lance? Yeah, I have no problem with it. It's good to catch up with you and talk a little draft. I've been... Without the normal trips to L.A. that I've been making in the past few I years, I, I miss seeing you guys and doing some, you know, hitting the touchscreen and screwing the touchscreen stuff up. <laughs> You're right about that. we got plenty of those uh, for the real uh, to show, you know, for the personal collection, of course. Um, but look, you know, I, I think uh, let's let's give the guy, the folks out there a sense of what's coming up here in this in this episode. I'm really excited to hear your interview with Michael Pittman, wide receiver out of USC, which you did for us. And we'll play that for you here in just a little bit. Um, that must have been pretty fun to get to talk to a guy who's kind of like a power forward uh, in this year's wide receiver class. 
Yeah, it really is. He's one of the guys that I really respect in this class, and I feel like is a safe player. Um, it, it's a deep wide receiver class, but there's not the you know there's not the high end Calvin Johnson types, but it it is right. deep. But he's one of those guys with size. He has a good feel for his own body type and what he does well and what he's not as good at. So he he tends to play to his own strengths, and then he's competitive. You know, when the ball's in the air. He's just really, really competitive, and that's something I loved about um, watching Michael Pittman on tape. So we'll get to that interview here for you. We're also going to run through rounds one through seven by giving you our favorite players from the rounds. And Lance, I know uh, we, we listen to this. For everybody out there that listens to Move the Sticks, you hear DJ and Bucky talk about red star players, guys that look. It doesn't doesn't matter where they're going to come off the board, when they're going to hear their name called, but they are guys that you love, guys that you want on your team. And Lance, we're going to try to identify one of those guys for each round. Yeah, I love that concept because, you know, it's funny. I don't get a chance to talk about, oh, man, this is my guy all that much. And just because you have somebody in the fifth round doesn't mean that you don't love them. And the same thing can be said for teams. There are teams who love six-round picks. Yeah, no question. And um, I'm excited for that, too, because I, I saw a lot of these guys that we may see on day three uh, in my coverage of Conference USA this year and then and also uh, the NFLPA All-Star Game uh, at the Rose Bowl back in January. So we'll get to that, but let's begin here by starting this episode with one, this... I, by looking at the top five in a way that we're not only talking about the first pick that the teams in that top five are going to make, but also what they might use to pair with that first pick, their first two picks. So looking at the top five teams in this year's draft, we're talking about the Bengals, we're talking about the Redskins, the Lions, the Giants, and the Dolphins, and try to identify two players that can really help turn these franchises around and get them rolling in the right direction. Um, Lance, you ready to dive into this thing here? Let's start with uh, with what you got for the Dolphins. I'm sorry, the Bengals. <laughs> there they go, Bengals. At number yeah, one. so the Cincinnati Bengals, I would say – uh, obviously, I think the first pick is is a given, Joe Burrow. But the guy that I really tag for their their next pick in the second round would be Austin Jackson, who's a tackle from USC. I think finding a player who is best prepared to take care of Joe Burrow is, I mean, that's very, very important. But I don't think you're going to find somebody ready right now in the early second round simply based upon the expected lack of Uh, OTAs and rookie mini camps. So what I want to do then is take a talented player with traits and Austin Jackson's one of the most athletic tackles that you're going to find in this draft. And the same thing keeps coming up when I talk to, to NFL executives, he's a true left tackle. He's a true left tackle. He's a true left tackle. And so he's not a guy like you're thinking, is he a left or a right? He is athletic enough to be a a true left tackle. He does have some strength he needs to work on and, and things like that. But I also think you can play him at guard if you need to early on while he's developing you know, his strength and can move out to the tackle position. So it may be a redshirt year for Austin Jackson. I don't know, but he's just so talented. I think he's going to find his way onto the field. Is it going to be left tackle, right tackle? Does it matter? I don't know. I just think you're finding a player who projects as a quality left tackle starter within two to three years, and, and I think that would make some sense at pick number 33. I think that's great. Um, I think we're on the same wavelength here. Look, let's not overthink this thing. The Bengals are going to take Joe Burrow at number one overall. And then 
what do you need to do to support your now franchise quarterback? Well, offensive line's a really great way to start, and I went that way as well with number 33 in the second round, and I just chose a different guy. Um, Isaiah Wilson out of Georgia. I know we talk a lot about Andrew Thomas, but certainly been hearing a little bit of buzz, Lance, that we may see Isaiah Wilson end up in the first round, so maybe he's not available there at 33, but kind of heard the same about Austin Jackson, too. He kind of in the mix to be that fifth through seventh tackle off the board. Does that sound about right? Yeah, I think um, I think Isaiah Wilson. I feel like he's going in the first round based on the chatter I'm hearing from from teams, and I think he's going to be the fifth tackle off the board. I think he's going to be the first tackle off the board after the quote unquote big four. So if he's not fifth, he'll be sixth. And I think Isaiah Wilson is a guy that might not be there at number 33. But whether it's Ezra Cleveland falling, whether it's Josh Jones, when I say falling, it's all a relative term. Um, Isaiah Wilson and um, and Austin Jackson, those are the next four that figure one of those guys figures to be there for the Bengals. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's interesting because you could get both Georgia tackles going back-to-back in terms of tackles coming off the board with maybe Andrew Thomas ending up as the fourth and then Isaiah Wilson uh, as the fifth. But I think the the point is we see a tackle there as a real possibility for the Bengals with num- the number 33 overall pick, the first in the second round and on day two of the draft, April 24th. So with that, let's move to the number two pick. And this is where things could get really interesting if, of course, the Redskins decide to pull a Cardinals from a year ago, double down on the quarterback, and then the draft could could potentially go haywire here uh, at that number two pick. If the Redskins take a quarterback, is that what you have them doing? Lance? No, I've, I've got them taking Chase uh, Chase Young. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm just going to go ahead and stay with the chalk here, minus about five to one, you know, five to one favorite. It's just you got to see what you have in Dwayne Haskins. Unless you are t- completely out on Dwayne Haskins, and look, it's not a it's not a situation unlike what the Arizona Cardinals went through. You referenced them, and rightly so. But we had a we had a head coach in Cliff Kingsbury who has a specific type of offense, who likes a specific type of quarterback. And I think that made for a perfect storm there. And maybe, you know, a general manager who was on the hot seat a little bit and decided, I'm not sure if I'm all in on this quarterback who he traded up for in Josh Rosen. And so that was a very unique situation. Here you have Dwayne Haskins, who, yes, he's not Ron Rivera's quarterback necessarily, but he did show some things last year. I mean, he he has flashed a little bit. And I think Ron Rivera is not going to be running an offense that is very specific to a special type of quarterback in this year's draft. So I can't see any scenario where they trade out of the chance to draft Chase Young. It just seems so Julius Peppers to me with David Carr went one, Julius Peppers two. You don't want to trade out of the Julius Peppers spot. So I would sit tight and and Chase Young is the all day everyday pick. Yeah, you know, I'm with you on that as well. And I, I almost felt like the Redskins are the only team in this draft, in this first round in particular, that can't trade. Because they have the opportunity to either do what they want and take the take a quarterback, a, you know, a potential franchise quarterback at two, or take a franchise edge rusher at number two and chase young guys that don't come along that often to me, it just seems like the most logical pick not to trade because you're really going to have the best of both worlds available to you there at number two. Uh, So I also went with chase young at number two, the edge rusher uh, out of Ohio state. And who did you have there for their second pick, uh, which I believe comes in the third round there, Lance? 
Yeah. So after, so they don't go again until the, let me make sure, but that's, I want to make sure it's just third. Yeah, it's third. So pick number 66, they're going to need offensive line or cornerback. And and I think that's a big need. One of those two positions, linebacker is another one that you could look for. Um, for me, I'm going to go ahead and jump in on the offensive line again, and I'm going to go with Matt Parrott. And this is not an offensive lineman that personally I love as much because I want to see more physicality. I want to see more finish, but I cannot, I cannot uh, dispute the fact that he's got very long arms. He's very athletic. He's, he's, he's got the gifts needed to play left tackle. And when you see all the issues they've had with Trent Williams, you have to think that they would love to get past those issues, but they can't do that. They can't move him until they know that they have the pick they want at uh, at tackle, until they have somebody coming up in the future that they feel like they can plug in, whether it's developmental or whether it's somebody right now. And waiting till the third round can be a little bit dangerous trying to find a future starter. But but Matt Parrott has the type of physical traits and attributes and, and, and the game qualities to be that type of potential offensive lineman. For me, he's more late third, but he's going to get pushed up. And he has a lot of the physical markers that you want. So you got to do something to get the disgruntled left tackle Williams out of the, you know, off the team. Yeah. And, yeah. and you may not be able to do that before the draft. You may have to wait until after the draft. Great minds think alike. I'm on the same page with you in round three at number 66 overall. I'm going with an offensive lineman, particularly uh, a tackle. Is this a range where we could see Prince Tiga come off the board from Auburn? Yeah, it could be. There's there's some – I've talked to teams who say there's some concerns about medicals, and there's also a concern, a guy who's a sub-33-inch arm player, whether or not he's a tackle or a guard. But right. I do think he's a talented – he and you know another one would be, although he's not a left tackle, Lucas Nguyen, who has some of the same concerns after having a hip issue and a hip injury. But uh, Prince Tiga – I thought despite the short arms, he really moves his hands well. Like he's a he's a boxer. He throws his hands punch, punch, jab, right hand, left hand. Right. So defensive linemen can't get a great feel for swiping his hands away because they're constantly moving. So despite the short arms, I actually think he has the physical ability to play left tackle. See, I love that. I'm just talking you into a couple extra bonus picks here. It's basically what I'm throwing out names. So this is this is perfect. I hope you guys are enjoying this. Lance Zerline, you can find all of his uh, NFL draft scouting profiles uh, on NFL.com. What I do is I, I just go to Google. I put in the prospect's name, and I type in NFL draft after that. And essentially, the guy you want that Lance has profiled comes right up as the first selection uh, there on Google. What do we have? Are we going over 500 reports again this year? Well, yeah, it will be. I'll, I'll be at 500 headed into the draft, and, you know, it's unlikely that I get everybody. Somebody's going to sneak in, and <laughs> once that happens, I've got to write the reports after the draft is over. Oh, so, there you go. A little yeah. bonus homework there. Got to spend a little time in detention. All right, so we've run through the first two uh, teams in the top five. Now let's get to the Lions here at number three uh, overall. And I'll just give you who I got here, Lance, and I'll let you weigh in. Look, I, and part of this is to me, like, I think the, the popular choice here is Jeff Okuda at number three, although I see the best opportunity for them being trading out of this spot and still getting a marquee defensive player a couple of spots later if somebody wants to come up for a quarterback. I just don't see how they become a better team than they were a year ago by simply replacing Darius Slay with Jeff Okuda. Like To me, the pick of Okuda would have been great if they could have kept Slay, and then you get both those corners there. I understand the fact that you now you need to replace a cornerback here, but is there a defensive player out there that provides a better value to you that can be a bigger disruptor 
is that Derek Brown at number three? Uh, to the Lions? I think that's a fair question, and it's also a a player that could make a lot of sense from a fit standpoint. The question you get into, though, is does he have enough rush? And I think that he is a good pass. I think he's got the ability to to move the pocket, push the pocket. There's no question about that. But when you're talking about a defensive tackle inside the top five, really even inside the top seven to ten, you typically want a defensive lineman and an interior player who can get after the quarterback. Consistently, and I think I think he's one of the top three players in the entire draft, and I think he's going to be a really good NFL player. But that's not always right. the draft value. Look, Rhett, you and I both know in a perfect world, Tua would get hot, or Justin yeah. Herbert would get hot, or even Love, and the Lions would be able to trade back to five or six and still get their hands on Akuda, or or maybe Derek Brown. But I just don't see that heat developing for a trade up. Not, not right now. Yeah, we haven't seen it yet. Um, so I did end up giving the Lions a cornerback in round two at number thirty-five overall, and I went with Okuda's teammate Damon Arnett out of Ohio State. Now I know he could be in the mix to be one of those final corners off the off uh, the board in the first round if a run really happens. But that's where I went there at number thirty-five. You know, I think Denzel Mims there is interesting. You've got three wide receivers in Galladay and Marvin Jones and, and Amendola uh, who are going to be who are going to be free agents next year. If you lose one of those guys, let's say it's it's Galladay or or um, Marvin Jones, you could plug in a guy with a similar body type to both of those wide receivers in Denzel Mims, a guy who's got the speed to get vertical. Um, he's got the size to to bother smaller corners. So I and, and I'm starting to believe that Denzel Mims is not going to go in the first round. So if he's available there and you've got a chance to plug in a wide receiver in preparation for a loss in free agency of the other two guys, um, I think it might be worth consideration because then you can go three bigs in your three wide receiver sets and cause some major matchup concerns uh, for defenses, even in 2020. Great point. And then did you then have the Lions with Okuda at number three? Yeah, and I'm going Okuda. It's just, it's such a huge pressing need. And really, to me, there's only two tier one uh, cornerbacks in this year's draft, and that's Jeffrey Okuda and C.J. Henderson. So, you know, in a perfect world, you might get them sixth or seventh, but I, I feel like Jeffrey Okuda is a top five talent. And he's got the traits to become a lockdown corner and a, and, a, and definitely a cornerback one. So I, I don't see what the difference is between picking him third and picking him six. Just just take sure. the position, take the guy you that, that happens to be a talented player at a big position in need. Yeah, and if he ends up being an all-pro corner, we're not going to sit here and talk about. Well, they could have gotten him at six, but they ended up taking him at three. So it's just uh, another one of those one of those things. Uh, let's move on here in the top five with the Giants. And uh, how do you see them uh, working their first two picks? Number four overall, Lance, and then number 36, which is the uh, fourth pick in the second round. Well, so the two big needs, and I, I don't think it's a big surprise that the two players most often mocked are going to be offensive tackle, whether it's Jedrick Wills, or some people say Tristan Wirfs, or some people have it, you know, Makai Becton. And then... Isaiah Simmons. So you've always got a tackle and Isaiah Simmons seem to be the two, the, the, the positions that are always mocked there. And I think it makes some sense, uh, makes great sense in terms of their, their strengths, their weaknesses and their positions of need. Personally, when I look at this, I think Isaiah Simmons gives you rare physical traits and rare physical potential um, from his ability to match up at a variety of positions. I think he guy who creates major major concerns with that said 
He's still a little raw. He still needs to learn the linebacker position. And I just feel like, for me, personally, I think Jedrick Wills is an outstanding tackle prospect. And I think that is a position they have to get right. The Giants, and once you get into the the second round, I don't know that I feel as good about those tackles. I feel great about Jedrick Wills. So based on that... I believe they can find a linebacker down the road. I don't think they can find a tackle that has the start and stay, a start and play, and, and really play at a high end potential is Jedrick Wills. And if you like Mackay Becton, then, then go with Becton. Those are the two guys for me that I think number four. You know, the Giants. I think they should be in consideration there. Yeah, and look, I, I went the same way, I, except on my board, I have it as uh, choose your own adventure. Insert tackle here, whichever one that you yeah. truly feel like is your top tackle, right? Because you're going to have your pick of the litter, it certainly seems at this point. Uh, and I, I, I joked with DJ on Path to the Draft yesterday, uh, by the way, coming to you again, uh, 8 o'clock Eastern time tonight on NFL Network, um, that by the end of this thing, he's going to have mocked five different tackles to the Giants at number four, you know, just covering <laughs> all the bases, you know what I mean? Um, so, look, I, I feel like that's the pick here. And, you know, whether it's right tackle, left tackle, you know, either one is going to be an upgrade over what they probably have right now, even if you include Nate Solder and all that. So um, I went there hey, and then. And, and can then I break? Lance. Can I break for a second? Yeah, yeah. I want to I want to go off on a side path. Let's say they go tackle like we talked about. Yeah. Would Isaiah Simmons go to the Dolphins? I don't think so. I think they go quarterback. Would linebacker end up at at number six? With the Chargers, Probably I don't not. think so. Number seven, the Panthers, you could look at at linebacker there, but there's an outside chance that he could even get past there. And in my last mock, and granted it was, I don't know, two or three weeks ago, I ended up having him fall because of this very reason. Once you plug an offensive tackle into four, what happens is our perceptions of what teams are looking at and what their needs are will force Isaiah Simmons to fall down the board a little bit, to either 7th or even 8th. And I know that the Arizona Cardinals are probably not expecting to see Isaiah Simmons, but I wonder if he were to get past, in this scenario, get past Carolina at 7, if Arizona would be saying, hold on a second, I don't care what we were looking at here, we got to take this guy. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a great point. Um, and uh, well, let's just get to number two, and then that'll lead me into my conversation uh, that I want to have with the Dolphins at number five. But round two for the Giants at number thirty-six. Look, I kind of I, I went receiver here. Um, I think they could get a really good one here, pair, pair with Darius Slayton, who turned out to be a real nice pick for him last year, coming out of the fifth round uh, as a rookie. Uh, and then I know you got Golden Tate uh, around there, but but who's there that's going to go up in the paint? and win you a ball in the red zone. Does T. Higgins fit that bill for you at number 36 if he's there? Yeah, I think T. Higgins hits, fits that mold. If that's what you're looking for, um, that could be – you've got speed with Slayton, so that could be the type of yeah. guy that you're looking for. Denzel Mims, as we talked about, is that same kind yeah. of guy. And a guy we're going to talk to later in the, in the uh, show, Michael Pittman. Michael Pittman. I, mean, I think Michael Pittman is a guy who is a really solid possession receiver size with the ability to win balls down the field. So I kind of like the fact that if you want a big, the early second round could be the home to find a good big wide receiver. And I loved, I I wanted to mention this when you brought up uh, Mims a little while ago for the lions, has he had one of the best postseason run up to the drafts 
seasons that we've seen. I mean, I thought he had a terrific senior bowl week that, that really helped. I mean, I, I watched him. I, he looked so smooth to me. Maybe you want to go back and watch Baylor games and just see if I saw that on tape as well. Um, but he caught the ball well. I thought he was one of the best in show at wide receiver uh, all week in Mobile. Well, there's no question, and the problem is you don't see it on tape all the time. And I know he go. had a he had a foot issue, which which hurt him. But playing physical and playing competitively against guys like Jeff Gladney at TCU, you know, that's my knock on him is I didn't see him want it more than the other guys. Now, physically, he could he could impose his size on players, but once we got to the Senior Bowl, and this is what the postseason is so great at is exposing potential where. We don't know about the foot issue because I've heard that from from a scout. Hey, he's, he's had a you know he's got a little bit of a foot issue that is really not something that's been talked about. But that's a major major deal that could play into some of the things that you're not seeing, Lance. And we we talked about that a little bit. And if that's the case, then the Senior Bowl and the Combine were big show out opportunities for him, and he stuck it. He stuck the landing on both of them. And Four, three eight forty at the absolutely. Combine. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. And so now you, you got to look at him way differently and say, man, I'm starting to think that, uh, you know, I'm starting to think that Denzel Mims, if he gets into an NFL system and but but it always goes back for me is how competitive he is he going to be at the top of his route? And yep. then how physical is he going to be when the ball gets in the air? Because if he'll be physical, there's no question he'll be a successful NFL receiver. No question, because he's got the body for it, um, and uh, I'm, I'm excited to see where he ends up. Okay, so that f- finishes us up on the Giants, and to go back to your thought about where we see Isaiah Simmons fall, Lance, I actually I have him going to the Dolphins at number five. I love I, it. I love it. I feel like he might just be a safer pick than one of the two quarterbacks, and why are you trying to rush the quarterback if you're the Dolphins? Uh, you've got all the draft capital in the world here with three first-round picks that if you want to get a guy that you feel... It, it, I guess it all really, Lance, depends on how they view the class in terms of how close is Tua to Herbert to Love. And if the gap isn't that big, then why go get your guy here at five, right? So I've got him taking Isaiah Simmons, a guy who you know maybe has some Minka Fitzpatrick-like qualities for them that they got out the door uh, in the trade to the Steelers, and they get, man, a guy that, I'm telling you, I talked to an offensive coach um, that had some New England ties that said he it would be most difficult for him to game plan if a team used Isaiah Simmons in the way that the Patriots used Jamie Collins as a hybrid type of playmaker linebacker that you can kind of set up almost anywhere um, and let him go out there and make some plays. So Brian Flores there running the show in Miami with obviously experience in that vein with Jamie Collins. And look, I get it. Isaiah is probably a little bit more talented. Um, I, I just I see a fit there and I think maybe has the opportunity to have a more immediate impact. So I wrote an article. Um, I wrote an article where I took a look at the AFC and Chad Reader took a look at the NFC. And this, this, what we're doing is exactly what we took a look at. First two picks, what's the best fit? And for the Dolphins, what I wrote was Jedrick Wills, who in our scenario, I've already got him off the board. You know, I would, I would personally take Wills if I were the Giants. But I said with the second pick, a top quarterback. And I said, uh, basically, you have to stick with me on this one. The Dolphins have loads of it. Tell me if this sounds like what you're talking about. 
They have loads of draft capital unless they are completely comfortable with Tua's medical situation, and they'd be well served by taking a top tackle and then using that draft capital to slide up. Great minds think alike, and I feel the same way. You've got a chance to get Isaiah Simmons, for example. That's a premier elite athlete. Now you got a chance to use your draft capital not to just get good players, but get players you love. Get players that you have the red star grades on that you talked about. And so if you love... To a, now, of course, you'd probably have to deal with the Chargers potentially taking their choice of quarterbacks at number six. But if only one quarterback has been off, and you like, and you mentioned there's not a big gap between two other quarterbacks, then the first phone call you're making after you make that selection of Isaiah Simmons at five is you're calling Matt Rule and, and, and the Carolina Panthers sure. and saying, hey, we'd like to move up to your spot. And we want to give you our first round pick, or maybe even a package of our two first round picks to maybe get up both there. of them. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we give you eighteen, and then uh, also what is it? Twenty 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 sixth, I believe. The, uh, yeah, tw- yeah. The Texans speak. and 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 go up to the seventh. You know, I, that'd be interesting, or to the nine. You know, depending on where that goes with the Jaguars, mm-hmm. um, could be an opportunity there. Unless we we see them as a dark horse to get into the first round quarterback market uh, themselves. So, like, I think that's interesting. And then actually, just with their. Uh, you know, we won't get to their second round pick because they have two others in the first. Their second pick in the first round, I actually had them just sitting and picking Jordan Love at 18, depending on how they feel about him, you know, yep. if he's still sitting there. Yeah, we see it the same. You know, I've got moving up for a second quarterback, but I think you can get your yeah. quarterback as long as you're willing to slide around in that draft and maneuver, and, um, and they are uniquely yeah. positioned to do just that. So there we go. That's how we see it with these uh, f- top five teams in the first round and, the, and then kind of in the second round uh, as well. Just looking at those first two picks and seeing how we can uh, we can help a team kind of try to turn around a franchise here. Hey, let's have a brief interlude here before we get to our favorite players by round uh, because, you know, you mentioned off the top of the show here that we usually see you in L.A. We usually bring you out to Path of the Draft. We have a ton of fun um, with you in studio. We're not getting to do that this year because of the coronavirus pandemic. And, uh, you know, we're all sitting out here, um, you know, from our houses doing all of our, our shows and all of our media responsibilities now, practicing safe social distancing. That's how we'll see the draft unfold as well when we get to Thursday with the all-virtual format. Um and uh, I certainly wish the continued health and, and safety to everyone out there listening for all of you and your family. Stay safe, stay home. Um, and, you know, a big thank you to all of the, the frontline healthcare workers that are helping us get through this thing and limit the spread. Um, but, you know, we, we can't have a quarantine, Lance, without a little bit of levity. And, you know, the, the biggest change, Lance, that I've had in my life since the pandemic started was that. I now have a camera in my bedroom <laughs> with live streaming capabilities. Oh no, that's a nightmare. That's a well. I, I can just see it now. I can just hear the TMZ. I'll just hear the and then yeah, the sports and it's hackers and and it starts with hackers and ends with Rhett Lewis. Oh my god! You know, like I've. I, I mean, thankfully, like, you know, my wife was like, we got to put a blanket over that camera. I'm like, yeah, you're right. We got to, we, I don't care, you know, whether the, the streaming unit is off or whatever, but something's got to cover up that camera. Um, it's just like, you have to alter your routines when you're essentially being watched 
the whole day. <laughs> exactly. So, um, while there is the added convenience to Lance rolling out of the bed and jumping behind the desk and in front of the camera uh, for a show, there's also the, uh, the, the could be the added uh, bit of uh, distraction or, or potential embarrassment by walking in front of the camera while you're getting ready for a show. Thankfully, that has not happened yet. So that's always uh, running? Always on. Now, they have what the opportunity to black it out. They black yeah. it out, you know, uh, when, when the show's off, but... You know, what if somebody, you know, just accidentally pushes a button and it's, you know, so we've got, <laughs> no. the, we've got the towel over the camera. It's, it's when the towel's over the camera, it's off to the world. So thank goodness for that. But I, I'm also curious to see just how this has affected your world uh, and also what you may be hearing from, from teams and prospects about how it's affected theirs. Well, so one of the first things is that my world is is not really a lot different. I'm just I have to I go to a separate um, I have a football office that that I use. It's at my radio station. I do a radio morning show and then I write up draft prospects. And I've been doing that since 2014. Um, That doesn't change. I do the same two things, only I'm doing them from a different location. So where I write things up and how I watch the tape, it's, it's just a different location, but my process is, is, is the same. What I found, though, from a draft standpoint, is that NFL executives are saying this is going to be one of the, the more pure drafts that we've seen because, because agents are not going to be able to really manipulate the draft. And when I asked what he meant by that, I was told, you know, Agents are able to leak private visits, the 30, the 30 visits or, or kind of secret visits. They leak them to other teams. They leak them to media members to be able to create even more hype and, and generate buzz. That's not going to be taking place now. They're not going to be able to alter, uh, you know, alter narratives as easily because there are no pro days going on and there are no, 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 uh, individual meetings and there isn't information about, you know, medical this or medical that they don't have that whatever happened at the combine. And then the last few pro days that that they were able to get in before everything shut down. Um, that's it. And so he, you know, the thought is that, that, the agents are very, um, at, at the forefront, I should say, of kind of creating narrative and changing some of the public dialogue. And in some cases, you know, changing and altering the trajectory of certain draft picks when they leak information to, to teams that, that, that create and generate some earlier buzz than maybe might have been there for a player. So um, I think that's going to be a really big deal. And, of course, I don't believe that players who didn't go to the combine, their, their pathway to hearing their name called in a 2020 draft is much cloudier Tougher, because yeah. they, they just don't have – the workouts, they don't have the medicals because they weren't able to go visit the teams and they don't have the same, the same pro day and, uh, and medical visits. They don't have that information with teams and teams don't love taking chances on guys. They don't have enough information on And how about guys who decided not to work out at the combine decided not to run, you know, yeah. and, and, and kind of missed out on that opportunity, you know, because they thought they were going to have the pro day. I feel for them, you know, I feel for them, for those those guys that it really could have made a difference for. Um, but 
that's the world we're living in today and the world we will continue to live in uh, for the foreseeable future uh, as of right now. Hopefully uh, we get this thing cleared up uh, in time to, to start the NFL season uh, on time. Certainly haven't heard uh, much uh, to the contrary on that point uh, just yet, but certainly hoping that that's still the case. And with that, let's get back to uh, breaking down this draft and doing it by listing our favorite players by round. And we'll we'll go maybe a little bit more uh, a little bit more high speed as we get through this, so we can each get a guy for each round once through seven, and maybe a bonus maybe a bonus priority free agent that we like uh, down at the end uh, as well. So uh, I'll let you kick this thing off here, uh, Lance, with your favorite player from round one. Well, so there's there's three that I could look at. Zach Bond crossed my mind from Wisconsin. Patrick Queen, I like him. You know, Jedrick Wills is is might be my favorite, but I want to switch it up. I want to mention, yeah, because I love Jedrick Wills, but I want to switch this up. I'm going to go with the lock, and that's Joe Burrow. And let me tell you why. He's my favorite. I watched him in the summer, wrote down 6th, 7th, and I was done. Because he wasn't any better. He wasn't any better than a late-round pick. The tape wasn't great. The decision-making was was okay, but threw into a ton of contested catches. There was nothing special about about his tape at all. And when I reached out to LSU and some some contacts I have there, I said, hey, did I just miss on this kid And in last summer when I watched him? They said, no, no, you didn't miss on him. You saw him, right? He said he's just he's grown as a player. He's gotten better. And the fact that a guy, and I understand that Joe Brady came in and altered the offense. I think Justin Jefferson moving from a lot of outside reps to slot reps was a really big help for for Joe Burrow. But the ability of a player to go from also ran literally in everyone's book, every scout, there's no scouts yeah. who thought he was a day two pick, to go from that to the greatest college season that we've probably ever seen in history. Frankly, it wasn't just the biggest turnaround we've seen in college history. I've never seen a bigger turnaround in sports. And I've I've been doing sports talk radio for over 20 years. I've been a a lifelong sports fan. And I mean, across baseball, basketball, football, boxing, horse race, I don't care, whatever it is. And I've never seen one individual player go from where Burrow was headed into the season to where he was at the end. You might bring up Jeremy Lin and Lin Sanity for small, you know, for a relatively brief period of time. And there's some other things like that. But Joe Burrow threw for 60 touchdowns. And not only that, when you watch the tape, his ball placement, his accuracy got better from last year. And it wasn't even just better. He was elite with that. His intangibles are elite. His toughness, his confidence and swagger that, that is, 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 it's, he's not overly cocky, but he's got enough cockiness, the kind that you love. His, his ability to slide around in the pocket. I just think what Joe Burrow brings to the table, he doesn't have a great arm. But he works all the way around that with his mind, his his play, ball placement, and his timing. And I just think what he was able to do from one year to the next, we will. Ne- I don't, I'm not sure we'll ever see anything like that ever again. And I just want to make sure. I know he's the first pick, and and no one's really talking about it that much anymore because he's locked in as number one. But he deserves this praise because of what he was able to do from last year's tape. It's really staggering. No question. And uh, I would agree with you. Uh, the things that I kept hearing talking to guys that have coached him and spent time around him is the the elite processor trait. And I know I've said that a couple of times here, but um, I, I can't get over how much that that's going to help him at the next level. The ability to take information and then to use it 
in the proper way and then have the skills to execute once you have the information that's correct. Um, I think uh, for so many times there's a disconnect there. You know, either don't have the processing ability and you've got the great physical talents or vice versa. And I think Joe really has both of them, even if it's not elite arm strength, who cares, right? It's enough uh, to get the job done and to be the number one overall pick. I'm with you. My favorite player in the first round is Jerry Judy. You know, as a, as a former wideout, I am a sucker for those wideouts that are a master of their craft at the position. And is there a better route runner, not only in this draft, but maybe in the last couple of drafts, last few drafts, than Jerry Judy? And Lance, when you are the author, the originator, and the creator of a phenomenon that includes your name like Judying does from your insane ability to get off press coverage and break people's <laughs> ankles at the top of your routes. That is a phenomenon across South Florida at the very least on high school football fields and, and youth football fields. Um, I, I just, I love Jerry Judy. I love the way he plays the game. I remember tweeting out when I watched his first spring game at Alabama when he was an early enrollee and he was catching touchdowns. And I was like, how soon can we talk about this guy on path to the draft? Uh, I had known nothing about him at that point and I've followed him ever since. And I'm glad that time is now. He is my favorite round one player. You know, that's a, by the way, I, I can't help, but every time I see Jerry's routes, it's easy to go back to Calvin Ridley, who I thought was a fantastic route runner as well. But Jerry Judy, in some ways, I think is even more polished from the release to yeah. you know to the to to the to the break point, yeah. getting out of the break points, and not only that, but the more complex bendy routes and the multiple breaks. I mean, he's got it all. He is really a phenomenal player to watch from a route standpoint. Uh, all right, no question. Uh, round two here. I'm going to give you mine here, uh, Lance, and then I'll let you uh, chime in with your favorite round two player. My favorite player in the second round is Jake Fromm, the quarterback out of Georgia. And I know he didn't impress a lot of people with the measurables and with at the combine and all that. But I remember when we were getting ready for some of our combine shows and uh, pre-combine shows and we're talking about all that that was going on with the measurements and I remember texting um, David Morris, a QB country, who's been working out with Jake from, I don't know, for years now and is training up here ahead of the draft. And I remember texting him. I was like, so what do we say? You know, what's what's the response to, to the hand size that was causing quite a ruckus at that point? He goes, well, that's the same hand that went to a national championship game, three SEC championships, beat out two potential first rounders, threw for over 63% completion over his career, was four-to-one touchdown interception ratio. If teams want to win the measurable game, Jake may not be their guy. If teams want to win football games, Jake is their guy. And I keep coming back to the fact that when we talk about not having the elite physical athletic traits, that he beat out two guys who did in college and what's to say he can't do that again at the next level Lance that's why Jake Fromm is my second guy my second round favorite guy yeah I I I, I love some of the I love some of the intangibles from Jake and I think you know it was not a good year for Jake Fromm this year and, and he didn't have the same wide receivers right. he needed but you go back to his freshman season and the way that he managed games and and managed and when I say managed games I mean people look at that as a negative I mean in control he controlled the yeah. the path of his offense against an unbelievable Alabama team, and he did it twice. And I just thought it was, I thought it was really uh, fun to watch. Actually, not twice. I think he they just played them once. 
yeah. in the national championship, but that was uh, so much fun to watch him operate there. You know, I got to be honest. I think he goes after that this year. I'm, I, I want to see if he may even makes it in day two. But I think people are sleeping on him a little bit. And, I, and I've even wondered myself sometimes, is he – are we going to see a guy – who, if he gets the right pieces around him, ends up making people say, oh, wait a minute, that's that guy we saw yep. you know, his first two years. Yep, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. Uh, all right, who's your second-round favorite guy? My second-round favorite guy is, is Jeff Gladney, and this guy is a phenom when it comes to attacking the football. He's got twitch. He's got toughness. I thought that what he did against Denzel Mims was it really told me a lot about Jeff Gladney, his competitive nature off of press. He's very instinctive and he's got edge. And and I think sometimes the edge can be um, can drift into immaturity. And that's going to have to be something that he controls when you have his NFL team say, how is a player going to do with more time and more money on his hands? And I think Jeff Gladney is going to have to answer that just like every NFL prospect has to. But from a from a from the standpoint of making plays on the football, of instincts and of toughness, I, and then you saw a guy who ran in a four fours at the uh, at the combine ran a good forty time. I think Jeff Gladney checks a lot of boxes. The only concern that teams are going to have on him, really, or the primary concern, is going to be size. Are you going to have to play him in slot, or does he have the potential to play inside-outside, depending on the matchup? Because if he can play inside-outside, all that does is elevate his you know, his value because of that versatility. If they view him as too small to play outside, then that, that, that limits him just a little bit. But I think he's tough enough to play outside, and I think he's quick enough to play inside. So I like Jeff Gladney as my best second round. It's my favorite second round pick. You know what? This next player might be my favorite in the entire draft as I get to round three. And my favorite player in round three is Amik Robertson, cornerback out of Louisiana Tech. And you know what? I just I, I feel like it won't do it. Ju- I won't do it justice talking about how much I love Amik Robertson. So let me let somebody else do the talking. Skip Holt singled out Wallace for having one of his best games of the season. Roll out here for Abraham. He was pressured right from the start. And it's picked. It's picked to the end zone. Amik Robertson with his second of the day, thwarting a Southern Miss scoring opportunity. Rhett, that you <laughs> that, do realize. That voice sound familiar? <laughs> yeah, that was you saying, listen to me tell you about Amik Robertson. That's what that was, Rhett. Well, shoot. Okay. That was me, and I do get a little worked up uh, sometimes when we're calling the games. But this dude, and that was both of those calls, that big hit on DeMichael Harris of Southern Miss and the interception of Jake Abraham, uh, Jack Abraham of Southern Miss, that was from the same game. He was the best player on the field. Now, we don't often say that about cornerbacks, but he was the best player on the field, and I'm – you know what? There's probably a couple other games in his career where that's happened. Uh, he had a big old hit against Texas, uh, against those two really high-quality wide receivers in, uh, in Devin Duvernay among them um, in the opener for La Tech. He is a really good player. I Size-wise, he reminds me a little bit of Mark McMillan. Um, you know, back in the uh, in the '90s uh, with the Eagles and with the Chiefs, but he will sting you. Amik Robertson will sting. Do not let his size fool you. He will hit you, and he is as instinctive a corner as I've seen in person in the last couple of years. Watching him come off of coverage 
to read a quarterback's eyes and then make an interception. Twice it happened in that game against Southern Miss. Um, I, I'm really impressed with him. And then when I when you learn a little bit about his background, um, you know, you understand that he's dealt with adversity and responsibility from a very young age. His father was in prison for much of his childhood. He had a son when he was 15 years old. And this kid knows what it means to play for your family and to understand the responsibility that that brings. And I am not betting against him. No, I, he's probably the most impressive player that I've seen in terms of his tape, maybe through the whole process, other than a guy like Joe Burrow. Um, it's, it's against sometimes lesser competition. And yet, when you watched him against Colin Johnson, he didn't really get matched up on Duvernay much because he was an outside corner. When you watched right. him on Colin Johnson, who's six foot five, and you see Amik, who's much, much smaller, Amik almost was the bigger man at the line of scrimmage, the way he played. He's extremely aggressive, but I, I, his ball skills and, and instincts are on the elite side. And I don't like using that word often. I think it's used way too often. But you talked about the plays against Southern Miss. That interception was ridiculous it in was. the Southern Miss game. It was, and the hit was a big monster shot. But, <laughs> but, but his, his interceptions this year, he, he's got 14 career interceptions, 47 passes defense career. And then he's got in the 20s with his um, tackles for loss. I mean, that is, that is a combination of attitude of instincts and then of just just special playmaking skill and that's what he's got and it was it was so fun to watch him on tape I mean probably the most fun tape that I had a chance to watch all year long I'm not even joking I don't want to take your guy because I, no, I think he's fine. yeah I think he's going to go on the fourth but my third rounder is Harrison Bryant uh, a tight end and this is another one who I thought was a lot of fun tight end out of Florida Atlantic look he's he was he weighed in at just over 240. Before he ran his 40-yard dash, he's in the low 230s. He's not a big guy. He's going to be an undersized tight end. But what he is, he reminds me a little bit of Frank uh, Wycheck back in the day. He can he can block you. He can put hat on hat. He's a physical. Um, well, he's an aggressive blocker. He's he's not big enough to. I don't know if I'd call him physical, but he's not a big guy. But he will stick his nose in. He will get guys blocked. He's ultra competitive. And then. I always go back to this. He split out twice against Jeffrey Akuda in the Ohio State game and got catches on him <laughs> twice. And I'm telling you right now, I mean, that's Jeffrey Akuda now. And Harrison Bryant is one of the most fluid pass catchers in space in this year's draft. It's like watching a basketball player uh, maneuver around as a route runner. And I think he's really going to make someone extremely happy as a dual threat ta- uh, um tight end who can kind of work out of an H back or offset, um, you know, wing back location and still get blocks done, work on the, in the running game and be a big part of the running game, but then get out in space and mismatch people. So Harrison Bryant, Florida Atlantic, that's my, that's my, my crush in the third round. Great one. And uh, maybe an example of the modern day tight end uh, in today's NFL. I think that was a great choice. Let's move to round four and I am going to steal a line from your draft profile of right. James Prochet, SMU wide receiver. Uh, I don't know necessarily that this is where he's going to end up, but I had to find a home for him because I, I loved watching him at the Senior Bowl this year. He and Denzel Mims were maybe my two favorite receivers in Mobile. I loved watching him run routes. His hands, unbelievable. But here's the line that I stole from you, Lance. 
preposterous ball skills and instincts. Preposterous. Uh, like, you cannot believe that this dude went up and made that catch. His compete level um, at the top, at the high point for a ball and at his, his ability to come down with the ball in so many different um, positions and uh, situations is extremely impressive. He's a dude I want on my team. Yeah, he. I mean, his highlight reel is ridiculous. It's almost like he hopes that you will throw it outside the catch radius so he can do something ridiculous. It's almost yeah. like he's like, please – please throw it up here out, out of my out of reach so I can do something ridiculous. And it is preposterous. What he did, what he did was absolutely, I could pull up the definition. I went and Google this true story. I went to dictionary.com and I said, I want to make sure that preposterous is the perfect is the perfect definition for what I'm feeling while I'm watching this. Cause I, because I felt like it really needed to really pop because it's unlike it's un, it's unlike anything else that you'll see. And here's here's the definition for preposterous right now. Contrary to reason or common sense, utterly absurd or ridiculous. I would say I nailed it with with his ball skills because that's what he is. Yeah, you nailed it. Um, I love it. Who's your round four? My round four guy is going to be somebody who's not talked about much, and his name is Tyree Phillips. He's a he's a left tackle at Mississippi State who I think will need to be um, a guard in the NFL. He's a great big human. He is he's really big, and body type can get a little sloppy, so he's going to have to watch the weight. But it's rare when I turned on tape and I watch a guy move Derek Brown around. It's pretty hard to move. DB five around. That's not going to happen very often. And Tyree Phillips is one of the rare players in this draft with the, with the physical, with the size and the power to sustain and move bigger players. And that's something that you see from NFL guards and it's kind of a throwback talent. Now he's not a great bender. So that's a little bit of a, a concern or a question. And he's got to prove he can move inside and play guard. But I think Phillips who might even go in the fifth round, I think someone's going to get a steal from him. His, his workout wasn't great. His senior bowl was just okay. But when you turn on the tape, I love the way he responds as a run blocker. And I think, I think his, his mass is going to really help in terms of uh, sitting down against bull rushers on the next level. So I think Phillips has a chance to really outplay his draft slotting in the fourth or fifth round. But for this exercise, we'll call it the fourth round. I love that. And uh, I love that we get to learn about some of these prospects from Lance, a wealth of knowledge, uh, some guys that we don't talk about enough or a lot um, in these uh, in these spaces as we get closer to the draft. And now we're getting a chance to do that here. I'm going to stick with the O-line theme here for round five. And again, you know, once we get to day three, I, you know, Lance, you know, as good as anybody, it's a little bit of a crapshoot where we're going to see some of these guys go, depending on whether teams, you know, are selecting with their final draft pick in the fifth round. I want to make sure they get a guy, um, you know, maybe they're, maybe the sixth round is their last choice. So they got to, they got to maybe get a guy that would have gone in the seventh or is higher on their board. You know, it's really hard to project here from rounds five through seven. So I, I'm going to go, I cannot give you a list of my favorite players without including a Hoosier. You have any idea who I'm, who I'm picking here in round five? Uh, Danny, it'd be Stepaniak or Danny. No, no, yes. Danny. Pin, yes. Is it Stepaniak? Yes. Ball State. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, I always get those mixed up. So it's Stepan, Stepaniak, the O-lineman. Stepanik, yeah. yeah, Simon Stepanik. Yep, yep, yeah, you're yeah. right. Uh, he, is, he is a bulldozer, road grader, bench-pressing freak show. 
Um, and he was one of uh, Bruce Feldman's freaks this year. I mean, the dude throws up weight like you wouldn't believe. Even just uh, a couple, of, you know, month removed from torn ACL surgery, um, you know, he comes in there and fires up uh, one of the best, second best bench press uh, totals we saw at the combine this year. So the injury during bowl prep, uh, you know, might hurt where he might have gone. Might make him go a little bit later, depending on how teams see the recovery. Uh, again, another guy I'm not betting against, and uh, the next in what's been a, a nice little lineage of Indiana offensive linemen making the transition to the next level, uh, which uh, last year we had Wes Martin go in the fourth round of the Redskins, and has kind of been in play there as, as one of their uh, rotational offensive linemen. So um, I think Simon Stepanak is in that mold as an interior O-lineman, and uh, he is my favorite fifth-round player, Lance. Yeah, I I, uh, I like that. He is a powerful guy, and I really liked Wes Martin. He was one of my late finds. He was one of my last 25 guys I wrote up, and I'm like, whoa. And I gave him a fourth-round grade, and I think he's a future starter. Um, Isaiah Hodgins is my fifth-rounder, wide receiver out of Oregon State. And here's another, and, and, and he's a perfect embodiment of why we talk about this being such a deep wide receiver class. Isaiah Hodgins is Jake Luton really – you know, when you watch Jake Luton, you're watching Isaiah Hodgins because he fell in love with Isaiah Hodgins. And I can tell you, it's it's not a bad guy to have a a player with his height, his length, and then his ability when the ball goes up in the air to hyper-focus and make the big play. He had a catch on the sideline against Jalen Johnson that from Utah, one of, the, one of the better corners in this draft as well, that was just phenomenal. And then the more you watch, the more you see the same kind of ball skills. And the knock on him, the reason he's a fifth-rounder, I think his ball skills and wide receiver talent is you know just in a vacuum is more of a day two talent, but he's not going to be the fastest. He's not going to be the most sudden getting out of his in and out of his breaks. And so the question becomes, can Isaiah Hodgins separate and get open? Can he uncover enough for, um, for all quarterbacks to throw to him and not just the most accurate or the guys with the biggest arms? And I think that's a, a real concern or question mark, but I just think he's going to beat those concerns and question marks because his body positioning, his feel for posting up another player and capturing the catch space. And then, you know, everything that goes into ball skills, including focus and desire, they end up in his favor much of the time. So I'm going Isaiah Hodgins from Oregon State as a fifth rounder who I absolutely love. I love that uh, as well as I get you into round six here. I uh, want to try to tell you a quick story here, but I want to make sure I do it justice. I saw Omar Bayless, Arkansas statewide receiver at the NFLPA All-Star Game, and in doing some research on him, I just I was amazed at this story. I'll take you back to from April to August of 2018, Omar lost four people, family and friends, that were very close to him. So a span of four months, four people very close to him, including his uncle, died. He played that season at Arkansas State at 39 receptions, which had kind of been par for the course for uh, his Red Wolf career. He went back home in January of 2019, and it's like it hit him, right? He, he just he realized a Christmas break, holiday break, he, you know, these people that I had grown up with are no longer there. And it hit him so hard, in fact, that he considered not going back to Arkansas State, not, not only to not play football, but just to not go back to school. Well, <clears throat> Arkansas State head coach Blake Anderson um, played an instrumental role in bringing him back, not only to, to get him back on the football field because he was so close to graduating. And, yeah, I, I believe I read a story in which, you know, Coach Anderson actually, you know, was, said he was going to drive to Laurel, Mississippi, 
and pick him up himself just to get him back in the classroom to make sure he graduated, even if he never played another down of football, um, which I thought was pretty cool. And as you know uh, from following this last football season, at this time, Coach Anderson's wife, Wendy, was dealing with cancer. Um, and so when Omar came back, he did come back in, in 2019, he had started to develop this really close bond with Wendy Anderson, so much so that he'd spend hours every week at the Anderson home just talking to Wendy. They talk about life and loss and good times, and it's like they, they bonded over their, their shared adversity. And as you know now, in August of that year, Wendy passed on, uh, from her battle with breast cancer, with cancer. And at that point, Coach Anderson was worried about Omar. Well, man, he, now he's lost, you know, just, you know, I've lost my wife here, but Omar has lost another person very close to him. But in this scenario, it was, it was Bayless playing the support system for Coach Anderson and his family, wanting to be strong for them. And I thought that was, that was so powerful and so cool. In fact, they'd become so close that it, it meant so much to him to help the Anderson family out here that he dedicated his last season at Arkansas State to Wendy. And so for a receiver who had never had more than 39 receptions and 566 yards, he exploded in 2019. 93 catches, almost 1,700 yards, 17 touchdowns, which was double his entire career production in, in terms of touchdowns um, leading into that year and was the Sunbelt Conference Player of the Year, uh, first-team All-Sunbelt, and I, I just like I love those stories. And he's a guy that I'm rooting for, and my favorite sixth round player. I hope he goes earlier than that. Um, but that's where I got him right now. Yeah, that's such an awesome story for him. And he's he's another one with phenomenal ball skills. Big guy, great ball skills, but dealt with adversity. And I can't tell you yeah. how many times NFL teams talk about players who have the toughness from dealing with adversity in the past and their ability to succeed, not just, not just on the football field, Rhett, but I mean their ability to succeed moving forward in life because they have that in their background where they have, have, have been able to overcome obstacles that many, that many of us, you know, are not able to. And, and it's, right. it's a testament to the kid's mental toughness and the support that he got from people around him without question. I'm with you, uh, man. It's so cool. So who's your round six guy? My round six guy is a player who I was really high on after watching him on tape. And, you know, one of the things I found is NFL teams didn't like him as much. And then he didn't have a, a great pro day. So I've, I've, I've relegated myself. I understand that he's probably going to go fifth or sixth round. But uh, Javon Lake out of Maryland, I mean – the thing with Javon Lake is that this running back, who is Anthony McFarland, gets a lot of the gets a lot of the attention, a lot of the love out of Maryland. He had more carries, things like that. But Javon Lake is an absolute playmaker, and I don't understand why he did, he ran in a four fives because on the field he's much much faster. So I am going to anticipate him getting drafted in the sixth round, which I think is probably accurate. But I think he has the ability to become a much better running back than that. Now he did have thirty four inch vertical leap and a, and a <clears throat> you know a ten five broad jump, which are good explosive numbers. But I'm sorry, he ran a four six five at the combine. That's going to sink his stock. Yeah. Does this sound like a four six five guy to you? He averaged um, while he was there a touchdown every eight point five carries during his career. 
He, um, and that's, which is a huge number. He is a kick returner with three touchdowns during his career. He has touchdowns as a, as a pass catcher as well. He averaged close to nine yards per carry during his career at Maryland. I mean, he's explosive as a one cut back. And I think that's the kind of guy that you really have to focus in on when you want late round running backs that overplay where they're drafted or come out of nowhere like Raheem Mostert did with the San Francisco 49ers. I think Javon Lake is going to be that guy this year. That's awesome. I love the returnability as a bonus in this sort of uh, space in the draft on day three as a guy that can help you get on the field, you know, that you can you can pound the table for the special teams coaches in on the pick, you know, like that kind of stuff. Um, I really like in, in, in this round in particular. Uh, all right, I'll take us into the seventh round. Uh, another guy that I saw, another receiver that I saw at the NFLPA All-Star game, and he was the best in show all week, particularly in one-on-one drills. I'm talking about Chris Rowland from Tennessee State. Um, I, you know, I just I I fell in love watching this guy in one on ones. He was unguardable. Um, I, Santana Moss was his wide receivers coach, by the way, all week, which I thought was pretty cool because he's like the only guy that can actually look Chris Rowland in the eye. I'm talking about a guy who's like five foot seven here in uh, in, in Rowland, and I remember watching one rep in particular where he ran and, and just absolutely broke somebody's ankles on a little whip route. Um, and Santana Moss, I don't even know if, if Roland could hear him, but he goes, ooh, somebody's going to love you. <laughs> and, I, and I was like, yeah, you know what? You're probably right. He's got some returnability uh, as well. He had a terrific practice week. We didn't see it show up, unfortunately, as much in the game. Um, but uh, the offensive coordinator that week, Kevin Mawai, uh, was like, man, we're, I, we're trying to get the ball in this kid's hands as much as possible. We got a draw. We might give it to him on. Um, he's a player with the ball in his hands, and uh, he can make people miss it. He's a fun watch. Uh, I got another one that was a fun watch, and that's Zane Lewis, who's cornerback out of Air Force. And listen, Air Force cornerbacks typically – aren't going to be 6'1", 196, and run a 4'4", 540. But that's what happened. I mean, height, weight, speed, cornerback coming out of Air Force, and it wasn't just that. You know, he tested really well with the three-cone as well, 6.87. Short shuttle was uh, was a 4.38. But he's fluid and smooth in his back pedal. He's got a little smoothness in his hips. Um, He looks comfortable playing and off and, and, and mirroring and matching routes. And I just... I couldn't believe what I was seeing because as a late round corner, you don't expect to see, you expect them to see him out of small schools and guys who are a little bit raw, or maybe you'll see a guy who used to be at a division one school that got in a little bit of trouble and then he bounced to a division two school, whatever the case may be. I don't usually see service academy cornerbacks pop up on my list of players to watch. But after he tested really well, and I know he was in East West as well, I believe um, I went and looked at him and I was very pleasantly surprised. So to me, he's got talent to, to maybe even go higher than that. But I would say uh, Zane Lewis is one of the guys with height, weight, with weight, with speed, the physical attributes, the play attributes, uh, the character is supposed to be rock solid, which shouldn't surprise you. And maybe we could be looking at a Bill Belichick special there, a service academy it. player with good size and speed to, to to maybe, you know, learn behind a guy like Stephon Gilmore. Uh, you know, and um, if, I, if I give you a quick bonus on a, on a priority free agent, 
Um, a guy I'd love to see drafted higher or hear his name called at all. Maybe might not happen, but another service academy guy is Cole Christensen, linebacker, absolute tackling machine. Um, he was a two-time captain at Army. And when you are a leader of leaders at West Point, I think that means something. Um, and just, you know, you brought up the the service academy corner. And so it, it just it, it rang a bell in my head. I don't know if you watched Elijah Riley yet. Uh, corner from Army. No, I've got him to watch. Yeah, I've got him as one of my last 20 to watch. Yeah, go watch the Michigan game and the UTSA game, and you're going to see a familiar theme. And I'll let you come back to me on a later episode and tell me if you figured out what it was. Awesome. I would love to do that. Yeah, yeah. So look, that's uh, those are our favorite players by round. Um, I thought that uh, was a fun way to kind of get some other names out there that we haven't talked about yet. Uh, it's one of my favorite uh, kind of topics to talk about as we lead up to the draft. Um, and, you know, a guy either one of us could have had as our favorite player, you know, maybe even in round one, but most probably in round two is USC wide receiver Michael Pittman. And Lance had a chance to catch up with Pittman uh, earlier today. And we've got that inter- interview for you now. Uh, first of all, thank you for joining us today, Michael. Let's get right into it because, you know, I, I was speaking with a West Coast scout, a friend of mine. We were talking about you uh, midseason. I was asking about you and his thoughts. And he said, you know, I give him a lot of credit because he went back to school last year to work on his craft. And he said, a lot of guys go back to school and you see the same guy come back the next year. He said, I didn't see the same guy with, with Pittman. I saw a guy who really worked on the route running and the elements that that he said he was going to work on, he worked on it, and he said it really showed up on the field. I'm just trying to, like, separate myself. So what makes a big guy better? And 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 I feel like now, I feel like NFL prototypical receivers, I feel like they're getting smaller versus what it used to be, like, 12 years ago. So you have to have those small man traits and mm-hmm. you could put it in a bigger package. So when I talk about small man traits, like I'm talking about quick feed, I'm talking about route running, uh, being able to stop, and um, just like stuff like that. Yeah, so, you know, one of the things that you, you – I thought you did really well this year was get in and out of breaks, which is the small man traits that you talk about. You know, your dad was a, an NFL running back, and one of the things that you've got to have is the quick gathering cut at the running back position. Um, how did you – how did you – how did you fine tune the footwork in terms of in and out? Cause you've got it. You carry a certain mm-hmm. amount of weight. you got a higher center of gravity naturally. How did you get to where you could elevate that area of your game? Yeah. So, I mean, it just comes with like, I would say it comes with like repetition and just, just like doing it day after day after day. Like it almost becomes natural. Just, um, dropping that weight, you know, getting your head over your knees and uh, getting like in and out of breaks and just keeping your feet moving. Um, that's something that I've been working on since like day one. Uh, Cause I started playing receiver when I was a junior in high school. So all of that stuff didn't really come natural uh, because I hadn't ever played it until my, my two last years of high school. So I really had to work on that. And it's almost like I had to relearn football because I was a, because I was a running back, I was a safety, and I was an outside linebacker. So um, I made that jump. You know, I always find it interesting um, when I see guys who played multiple positions in high school because I feel like they see the field better or maybe they just have a better, you know, uh, a diversity of skill sets because they've been asked mm-hmm. to do that, even if it was just for a couple of years on the high school level. Do you think that's accurate or do you see any of that with your game? 
Yeah, um, I think that's somewhat accurate because um, it's accurate because I know what the defensive mindset is and I know most of the defensive uh, coverage and schemes. Um, but as you get older, like defense becomes more advanced, players get better. So there's like slight differences, but um, I definitely think that it did help me. How did your game, how's your game changed in terms of what in-season coverages after that Utah game, things must have gotten a lot different. You, you put together a monster game uh, against Utah, and it had, I know, a lot of the scouting community in the NFL buzzing. What did you see di- from, a, from a coverage standpoint that was different um, this year than maybe you saw last season? Yeah, so even before that game, I started to see more like double, like, like double cloud coverage. Um, one thing I saw really often was – they would put the cornerback in a press and like he would like man me and then they put a safety over top or like they'd bring out that like the end to like kind of like press me and then put the corner over top. And uh, those were the most common uh, types of double teams that I saw most of the year. But um, I felt like Coach Graham like had a great scheme and we found ways around that. And then also having like two like other uh, guys who were like who are going to be in the draft next year in a. Uh, um, in um, St. Brown and uh, Vaughn's. So uh, those guys were uh, were picking up my slack, and uh, I think that they did a great job. Do I, now, maybe I'm wrong here, but when I watched, I watched and wrote up Juju Smith-Schuster, and I know it's a USC thing, and I know it's, you know, it's easy to say USC, big wide receiver. But I got to tell you, a lot of the strengths that I see from your game really apply to what, uh, you know, he did and what he does now, the ball skills, the back shoulder mm-hmm. stuff, the focus when the ball goes down the field, and you're in, in the strong hands, the competitive nature. Do you, you know, do you have any type of? Uh, do you look up to him, or do you, do you see any emulation of talent, or did you emulate anything that he did while he was at USC? Definitely. Um, when I came in, it was Juju's last year, uh, and Juju and uh, Juju had just came off of a fourteen hundred yard season, and. And what I took from him was just his mindset. Um, You can't tell him no. You can't tell him that he's not that, like, you can't tell him that he's not going to win. And just his drive and his, and his like competitiveness is something that I took and copied um, because I saw a dude like who is so fierce that he just doesn't ever lose. Like, and like, if he does lose and he keeps going until he wins. So, yeah. so um, that's why I took from him. I saw it firsthand. So one of the weaknesses I put for him, cause no one likes to think they have any weaknesses, I guess, but I just put top end speed is not, you know, I thought that was pretty much just a given. Well, of course he basically like took a screenshot of that and posted that when he had a 70-yard touchdown, a catch-and-run touchdown against the Lions. Yeah, I was about to say the one on Detroit. He kept the receipts on my scouting report. Yeah, well, um, he's a very, like, motivated guy um, and uh, stuff like that. Uh, I feel like like he, like, wants to prove – like, he wants to prove people wrong. So, uh, I guess that that was a win for him right there. So let me ask you this. The process itself, um, obviously much different for every draft prospect. Yeah. Um, did you did you, did you were you set to graduate this year or last year? Was this year supposed to be your graduation? So I graduated 
at the beginning of the semester last year. Um, so basically when I was playing this season, I had, I had chess class, I had yoga class and like a social issues class. So I was pretty much just playing football, you know, um, I had really easy classes that just like allowed me to, to, uh, be like a football player. So you've got a YouTube channel with your girl. I've seen it. I ran into some videos yeah. and I was watching it. It's produced like it's edited and produced really well. This is not just somebody throwing something up there. You guys, Thank who you. does that? Who, who puts all the, the, the post-production together? She does everything. Um, I'm just like in the videos. Uh, she films <laughs> them. She edits them. She posts them up. She does the promo on them. But she actually pranked me pretty good like two, three days ago. Yeah. So she got a fake pregnancy test and, and she made me think that I was going to be a dad. Um, and I'm not going to lie. Like I was kind of like excited about it. And then, and then like, I was sad. Like when she told me like she wasn't pregnant. Cause cause like we've been together for seven years. We've been living together for uh, three years now. So I say that we're pretty settled, but um, I would say that she got me pretty good. High school sweethearts. Yes. So um, when you have someone who you know that well and who knows you that well, does that make this situation that you're going through a, a little bit easier? Because I'm married. I've been married for 19 years. Yeah. The same way. So I find that it, there's, you know, it, this is something we've never been through. You're going through a once in a, hopefully a once in a lifetime issue with COVID-19 yeah. and a once in a lifetime thing with the draft and the uncertainty of your future. I would imagine having someone that's a rock is, is really important for you. Yeah. I mean, she just like gives me comfort. Um, uh, she's someone that I've known, like we've known each other ever since like middle school, like ever since seventh grade. Uh, she's someone that I trust with um, everything. And um, it's just good to have that like in your corner. Did you, did you find the process of senior bowl and, and um, combine interviews they're always famous. I think sometimes they're maybe blown a little bit out of proportion for mm -hmm. the strange things that get asked. Did yeah. you sense when teams were trying to elicit a, a reaction out of you or was there anything bizarre that happened with you individually? Um, I can tell when they're trying to get a reaction, but I didn't really get any tough questions. Um, they pretty much went easy on me. Um, I don't have any like off the field questions so there was no real hard tough weird questions like ask me because like if you look at my record like it's pretty straight um uh so they went easy on me do you have you studied do you know the other wide receivers in this class have you had a chance to do you watch other players in your own draft class um i don't so much study them but i pretty much know most of them from like watching them on like Saturdays before my game or after my game. Um, I'd say that there is a lot of talent and there's a lot of guys that could be first round guys. Um, but unfortunately like not everybody can be that. And um, I wish all of them the best and uh, we'll just see what happens on a uh, draft day. Did you, you ran fast. I think you ran faster than a lot of people expected for your size. You had a, you had a good workout at the combine. Did you um, – that was a much later start time than people are used to. Yeah. Did you think you're but, – but you play night games on uh -huh. the – like I was wondering how your body clock responded to all that. Yeah, so for me, like he was just a Pac-12 after dark game. That's what but, I was uh, 
for um, everybody else, um, I could kind of see that it was kind of wearing like on their body. Like guys were getting tired and guys were cramping up and like stuff like that. Um, we also ran a little bit longer because of like the TV and everything that like unforeseen things that uh, stretch it out. Like I think we got out of there by like 11, like 20. We got in there at four and got out like at 11, 20 or something like that. So, right. so it was a long workout, but it was a once in a lifetime thing. So I'm glad that I did it. Were you happy with the buildup, your training, and how you performed? Were you happy with all that? Yeah, I mean, like I was for like the most part um, happy with everything. Um, I felt like I felt like I kind of slipped up like on the forty. Like I ran faster than what people expected, but I know that I can touch that four four. Um, and on my first rep, I thought that I hit it because it felt like a four four, and then I went back and seen that it was a four two five, and or no, no, a four five two. Sorry, yeah, four, yeah, four two five would have been nice. But uh, <laughs> that's like these unofficial pro day times we're seeing. Yeah, but and then like my second rep, like I was just trying to stress like running fast, and I got slower. So, right. so maybe like down the line I'll run another forty. Probably not, but <laughs> I don't think you, I don't think you need to. I mean, it shows up on the field the ability to to get the contested catches, the ball skills. Uh, the route running was tightened up. You're tough after the catch as well. You, you come from NFL bloodlines. Your father was a running back in the NFL. Um, sometimes people might make too much of that, but there are really instances and situations where the children of athletes have a different perspective on how to approach the game, how to think the game. Do you yeah. feel like you fit in that camp that you, you come in with an advantage? Absolutely. Um, it's, it's so... It, so it's not so much about like the like bloodline and like genetic type stuff. It's like more about the like mental preparation that you get from your dad being a um, 11 year pro. Um, like he tells me so many things that other kids might get like might get like caught off guard for. So he kind of just tells me about football life and like reacting with coaches and like about the game of football, about how it's a business and don't get sensitive and just keep working hard. You know, don't worry about other people. Just like he like gives that mental aspect that uh, most players don't get. Yeah, I can I can completely see that. And it's funny because there's two wide receivers in this year's draft class, you and Van Jefferson. You're very different types of wide receivers. Um, but your dad played in the league. His dad played and is a coach in the league, a wide receiver. And okay. then, you know, he's an incredible route runner, just really tremendous. And then you were the same, you know, you're a guy who went back to school and tightened up some of your weaknesses. So I can see that in the approach of both guys who are coaches' sons. We hear the phrase coaches' sons all the time. You're a yeah. player's son. He's a coach's son. And we do see that. Absolutely. Mm. Well, listen, I know you uh, I know you got some things to do. Well, I mean, not a lot to do, but you certainly will have some things to do. What's your what's your draft night experience going to be? Do you have any idea what you're planning? My experience is going to be me sitting on the couch with my girlfriend. And then I forgot that my brother is actually flying out here. So my brother that plays for Oregon, he's at my dad's house right now. So he's flying out here to be here for uh, for um, draft night. And we're not doing anything special. Like we're just going to chill like on the couch and then uh, just sit tight like until it's time. 
Well, I'm sorry that you don't get to experience the, 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 the glitz and the glamour, but you know what, when it's all said and done, I know a lot of teams I've talked to think you could go late first, early second, and uh, I think there's no question. The way you play the game is the way a lot of teams are looking for. If you're not going to be the, the quick in and out guy, we want a guy that can do it all on all three levels, and that's what you proved this year. Um, Thank thanks you. again, once again, for joining us here on Move the Sticks, and uh, congratulations on a great senior season, and good luck in the upcoming draft. Thank you. Thank you so much. That was Michael Pittman, really a humble, I think a humble but confident player and a guy that, as I talked about in the interview, Rhett really helped himself by going back to school. Derek Brown helped himself. Michael Pittman helped himself. But going back to school, you got to put the time in to correct the errors or, or to strengthen the weaknesses, I should say, that you have. And I thought Michael Pittman did a great job of that. And clearly, he's got a dad who had been in the league. I mean, he's got a great head on his shoulders. I'm expecting great things from Michael Pittman. Yeah, uh, no doubt about it. And, uh, man, was this fun, getting to spend uh, an hour or so chatting with Lance Zerline here. Wish we could do it uh, more often on Path to the Draft uh, like we usually do, uh, which, again, coming to you tonight at uh, 8 p.m. Eastern time, as it does uh, every weekday on NFL Network. And I uh, want to remind you you know, that you guys got to get out there, subscribe, download, and move the sticks. It's the best draft content out there, I'm telling you right now. Um, and the great news is we've got some bonus content for you around this time of year. It's a 360 series. Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow's 360s are out right now on your favorite podcast app. Tua Tunga Vailoa's 360 is out tomorrow. That's April 16th. And you can watch all the video portions of the 360s on NFL.com slash MTS video. Um, and uh, look, we're just looking forward to uh, kind of continuing the path of the draft as it gets smaller here, uh, as we're just getting close to uh, being under a week and under a week away from kicking this thing off on April 23rd. Lance, uh, thanks so much for hanging out today, man. I appreciate it. Good getting, getting together again with you, Rhett. No question. And thanks to all of you for listening to Move the Sticks, presented by FedEx. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower, 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.
Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.